Well, Merry Christmas. If you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, it's a pleasure and a joy to be in a church where on Christmas morning we gather. If it's on the Lord's Day, we gather. It's not even something we debate about. Thank you, Ian, Adam, band, for leading us in worship this morning, preparing us for worship through the preaching of God's Word. And let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching portion of our corporate worship this morning. Father, we come to you this Christmas morning through the Son of God. And Lord, on this Christmas morning, we are grateful for the mystery of the incarnation, the Son of God taking on human flesh. We are grateful for the suffering of his humiliation. We are grateful for his love in his substitution for us. We're grateful for his victory in his resurrection. And we're grateful for the glory of his exaltation. We have so much to be grateful for this morning. Lord, as we make our way through this passage, I pray our gratitude would be strengthened, our hope and our love would be nourished by this gospel word. And Father, if there's any here today who have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Lord, may they see this as a providential time to be encountered by the living Christ. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. On Christmas Day, 1914, Five months into World War I, very violent time, 108 years ago today, a remarkable thing happened between German soldiers and their enemy, the British soldiers, who they had been engaging in trench warfare just yards apart just a week earlier, a ceasefire. A ceasefire occurred on that Christmas day, 1914. In fact, in the week leading up to Christmas, thousands of German soldiers and British soldiers began to exchange seasonal greetings. They even began to sing songs together like Silent Night, the, the First Noel, O Come, All Ye Faithful. And on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day, many of these soldiers went into what was known as no man's land, uh, where they mingled, they exchanged food. One soldier wrote, we ate their sauerkraut and they ate our chocolate and our cakes. Some even played soccer together, German and British soldiers, the artillery fell silent during this time. They even had joint burial services. This truce, very well known, is a symbolic moment of peace amidst one of history's most violent times. But keep in mind, because this truce was not secured by the only peacemaker in the history of the world... It was merely a superficial peace, a very temporary peace that in the end did not last. Within a couple of days after Christmas, uh, 
These soldiers who were eating each other's foods and and singing carols together and playing soccer together were back at each other's throats trying to kill each other. This war, along with every other war, whether it be a war in a marriage or a war in a home, a family, or, or the workplace, or even in churches, the war here is symbolic of the perversity and the fallenness of every human heart. James 4.1 describes it this way. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? You ever wondered that? Well, James answers the question. Is it not this, that your passions, that is your desires, are at war within you? You desire and you don't have. You don't get what you want. And so you murder. You may not physically murder, but you murder in your heart. You covet and you cannot obtain. And so you fight and quarrel. According to James, what is behind this evil practice of fighting with one another? It's bad zeal. It's fallen, misplaced zeal. There's something you want that you want too much. And it has taken over your heart. And we become zealous for the wrong things. And here's the rub. There's nothing you can do about it. You may have moments of superficial peace, like the German and British soldiers 108 years ago today. But there's nothing fundamentally we can do about it that's permanent and comprehensive. But here is the glory of Christmas. The Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to do just that. He came to change us. He came as our substitute. He came as our representative to do what Adam and those who were in Adam, us, are called to do, but failed to do. To love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then this one who did that subjected himself to the cross, taking the curse for our having failed to love God and our neighbor. And those who experience this costly, humbling love By conversion. What do I mean by conversion? Repenting of your sin and trusting in the sin bearer, the son of God. We begin to exercise that very love. We begin to grow in kindness. We begin to grow in charity and gentleness and grace. Gratitude becomes our calling card. We know that we deserve crucifixion. And we are grateful The the Lord Jesus Christ received it in our place. And because we are forgiven, when we were objects of wrath, we begin to forgive 70 times 7. 24 hours a day, 360 days a year. And only the gospel, the gospel of peace, the gospel we celebrate at Christmas can affect this. Well, we see two today in our text who understand this. One is named Simeon, and the other is named Anna. Now, we've been looking at these these songs in the infancy narrative of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And today we come to the fourth and final song. We looked at Mary's Magnificent. These, these songs are titled by the Latin, by the first words of these songs. And then we looked at Zechariah's Benedictus. Last night, uh, we looked at Gloria in Excelsis Deo, the song of the angels. And this morning, we look at Simeon's Nuke Dementis. What does that mean? It's the first words of his song. Uh, now I can depart. But at this point in our passage, uh, in chapter 2, verses 21 and following, our Lord Jesus Christ has been circumcised. Why was he circumcised? Because he's come under the law. He's come to keep the law. And five weeks later, after circumcision, you can see with me in verse 22, when the time came for their purification, under, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple for two reasons, purification and presentation. Now, what do we mean by this? Well, again, this is important for understanding that this son of God has been born under the law. He has come to fulfill the law because you and I do not fulfill the law. We don't obey the law. So he has come as our substitute. And with regard to purification, according to Leviticus chapter 12, a woman who gave birth to a son um, would be ceremonially unclean for 40 days. And then after that 40-day that period, when that time was up, she was required to give the priest a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering. But that was expensive. What about those women who were poor and couldn't afford uh, these particular kinds of offerings? Well, Leviticus 12 tells us that she was to offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. That's what Mary offers. That tells us that Mary and Joseph were very poor. Why is this important to us? Well, it reminds us of the depths of condescension that the Son of God came for the likes of us. The Son of God who eternally owns the cattle on a thousand hills has been born into a very poor home. It reflects the intensity of God's tender mercy for sinners like us. But in addition to purification, uh, he was brought to the temple for presentation. Again, Exodus 13, it was the law's requirement that you consecrate your firstborn. You, you consecrate uh, your firstborn child. And Jesus, the Son of God, is being consecrated. But this is a, a unique consecration. He's being consecrated for us. He's being consecrated. He's being presented for us as our law keeper, as our substitute. And that brings us to two people who were waiting in the temple who recognized that. Their names were Simeon and Mary, or, or, or Anna. Now, why do they recognize it? Because they, they recognize what the Old Testament says about the coming Messiah. And they, they are awaiting this coming Messiah. 
That brings us to Simeon's witness here in verse 23, or, or verse 25, rather. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Now, what does that mean? It means that this man had placed his faith in the Messiah who would come. That's how they were saved in the Old Testament. And as a result, he was considered righteous in the sight of God. And out of that, he was devout. That means he was committed. One of the evidences that you have truly been justified is that you become devout. You become committed to the one who has justified you. And so he was justified, he was righteous, he was devout, he was waiting for the consolation. I love that, the consolation. Uh, you could translate that word comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people, Isaiah 40. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is a person, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, this is the sixth person in the Gospel of Luke, of whom it is said, the Holy Spirit was upon him. John the Baptist in his mother's womb, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Mary, Jesus himself, Elizabeth, and Zechariah. Now, why is that important? Because in the Old Testament, it tells us that in the day of the Lord, when God makes things right, and when God judges his enemies, and when God sends Messiah, he will pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh. We see this throughout the book of Isaiah. We see it in Joel chapter 2, among other passages. Well, notice in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I love that language, the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, again, Jesus is under the law for us because we are lawbreakers. He took him up in his arms. So he has the baby Jesus in his arms, and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation is a person. He's holding salvation in the flesh that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And so, Simeon is saying, I'm holding the one for whom we have been waiting since Adam. I'm holding the one we have been waiting for since the promise of Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. And the coming of the Son of God, the coming of the Lord's Christ had crucial implications for Simeon. It meant he was ready to die. This was partly because of a special pro prophetic promise given to him by the Spirit that he would not see death until the Son of God came. 
But there's also a wider application here that we need to consider. I think there's a double entendre here. Anyone who has seen the Lord's Christ with the eyes of faith is ready to die. Conversely, those of us who have not seen him with the eyes of faith are not ready to die at all. Indeed, this wasn't just true for Simeon or the Jews. It's true for everyone. Look with me in verse 31. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is the basis for why we do international missions. This is why we do what we do. That's why we have Lottie Moon videos and we ask you to give sacrificially to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. For those of you that don't have a Southern Baptist background, 100% of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes to the missionaries overseas who recognize that the light of Jesus is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. It's for all the peoples. We have a stewardship responsibility to take that gospel to the nations. You are the heir. You are the beneficiary of missionary work. And now we are to steward what we have received by grace. This was Simeon's theology. This was Simeon's understanding of why the Son of God had come. Simeon's prophecy is about global evangelism. Jesus Christ is God's light to the nations. He's the only light to the nations. A world that is covered in darkness, in need of the sunrise on high. And one of the purposes, when I started this series in the first song, Mary's song, uh, we talked about this. One of the purposes of these inspired songs is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we develop the, in, the vision of the inspired singers themselves. And so Joseph and Mary clearly heard what he was saying. Look with me in verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. As I said earlier, we don't have to sing the song, Mary, did you know that your baby child is born as king, uh, that he's born to bring salvation? Uh, she knew because God had revealed it to her. But yet here, they marvel. Um, they already know what's true, uh, but, but yet they marvel. When, when the gospel takes hold in one's heart, you grow in your capacity to marvel. It's not like an off-on switch. You either marvel or you don't. It's more like a dimmer switch. And so as you raise that dimmer switch, it, the light increases in the room. Our capacity to marvel grows. That's where Joseph and Mary are. It does not remain static. In fact, God will continue to give you reasons to marvel on a regular basis. 
But Simeon isn't done. Notice in verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Now he's about to bless Mary, but he's about to bless her with words that Jonathan Edwards describes as a severe mercy. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Wow. Should not shock us when you are opposed for the sake of Christ. If you aren't opposed for the sake of Christ, maybe you're too mute with regard to the gospel. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that from many hearts may be revealed. In other words, our hearts are revealed by our response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what does Simeon mean here? Well, first of all, there's a couple of things he's saying here. First of all, how Israel responds to Jesus will determine their fate. The Jews aren't saved one way and Gentiles another. All right? But let's apply this to you and me. How every man here, how every woman here, how every young boy here, and how every young girl here, how every adolescent, every teen girl here, every adolescent teen boy here responds to Jesus will determine your eternal fate. It will either be for your fall or for your rising. He is saying here, Simeon is saying, by the inspiration of the Spirit, if you reject Jesus, God's only provision for sin he is appointed for your fall. But if you embrace this Jesus on his terms, not yours, by repentance and faith, you'll rise with him. But this won't come without a personal cost to Jesus and even his family. The second statement isn't as well known in Jesus' church today. I don't think, Adam, that it's been put to music. Maybe you can write that this, this year. But it should be because it is a crucial part of the significance of, of Christmas. Here, Simeon is giving us the first hint. Now, we already have that hint in the Old Testament. But here in the Gospel of Luke, we are given the first hint of the suffering that the Son of God would have to endure to secure salvation for sinners. And part of that suffering will be that he is the object of opposition, the sign that is opposed. The sign that is opposed. People, sinners, will despise and reject him. They will take their stand against him to the point of death. 
And, and this is the sword that will pierce Mary's soul. It's incredible language. A sword will pierce through your own soul. And it did. We know later in John that Mary stood there at the cross and watched her son be crucified for sinners like us. Simeon's prophecy shows us that from the very beginning, God the Father had a death mission for God the Son. The cross was not plan B because plan A didn't work. The cross and the resurrection was the plan of the ages. But this also reminds us not everyone's going to be saved. Not everyone's going to be saved. Notice, there'll be the fall and there'll be the rising of many. This is not popular today. That God will judge those who do not embrace Jesus. It's not popular because it sounds narrow-minded. Well, all truth is narrow. And you believe that when you're on a plane, don't you? You don't want a postmodern pilot. You believe that when you're on an operating table. You don't want a postmodern surgeon. All truth is narrow. If we are humbled by our sin and have ears to hear, eyes to see, then we will perceive our need for grace and embrace God's only provision for our sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, think about this. It's our own inability to deal with our sin. You cannot deal with your sin. You can't manage it. It's like a superficial piece that we see here uh, with these German and British soldiers. It's our own inability to deal with our sin that is God's mercy to us. Because in that inability, if we have eyes to see, the eyes of faith, we run to the sin bearer, the son of God. And that's what Simeon means by the rising of many. In fact, that word rising that you see here, it will be for the fall and the rising of many. That's the word for resurrection. It's the same word found in John 11 when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Because of his resurrection, by grace alone through faith alone, we are united to the one who's been raised from the dead. For those of us who trust in him, it will be for our rising. C.S. Lewis writes, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights into time and space, down into humanity. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world with him. And yet, many will, be, will refuse to be humbled by their sin. They stand proud. They don't see their need for a Savior, which is an ironic fulfillment of a promise the serpent made to Adam and Eve. 
If you eat of this tree, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that is the fruit. We become the own, our own arbiters of what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is untrue. And we perceive in our sin, we don't need a Savior. It will be for our fall, as Simeon says here. That's the way it's always been. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, that Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentile. This is what Simeon means by the fall of many. What a remarkable song that Simeon sings with the Lord Jesus in his arms. But there's a second witness here as well. A second person who's waiting in the temple for the consolation of Israel. Her name is Anna. That brings us to Anna's witness. Verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. It's unclear what that exactly means. Uh, had she been uh, married 84 years, it, it really isn't important to understand what the point is. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Do you see? This woman's whole life was devoted, waiting on the Messiah who would come. That's how they were saved in, in the Old Testament. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna's and Simeon's witness serve as a twofold witness. You know what the law says? Deuteronomy chapter 19 says, a truth is confirmed by two or more witnesses. We have the two witnesses here. And as Anna saw the Son of God, she responded in the way that everyone responds who beholds the Son of God with the eyes of faith. She thanked God for the salvation that he would secure in this Son of God. And then she began to tell others about Jesus. Her life in God help us to get here. Her life was consumed with two things, worship and witness. Her life was consumed in that way. Now, why would Luke tell us about Anna? Well, it's what happened. That's one reason he tells us. But secondly, he's commending her life to us. This is an exemplary life. I want you to Use this principle when you interpret your scriptures, when you read your scriptures. What God positively characterizes in scripture, he creates in us who have the eyes of faith. Let me repeat that. What God positively characterizes in scripture, he creates in us who have the eyes of faith. So on this Christmas morning, Ask yourself, it's a very important question. I've asked myself this. 
all week as I've considered this. Does my longings, does your longings, does your loves match Simeon's and Anna's? The fact is, we can see more of who and what Jesus came to do than they can at this point. We see him not only in his birth, we will see, we have the privilege through Scripture to see his life as he fulfills the law for us, as he obeys God for us, as he worships God in, uh, in our place. We see his life fulfilling all righteousness, and then we see his death. We see his death as he takes the wrath of God in our place. As he satisfies God's wrath in our place, we see his resurrection as the curse on our sin is reversed. We see his ascension as he sits in session at the right hand of the Father and rules as king in the presence of his enemies. And it's in seeing this we have eternal life. Today, we celebrate the incarnation, but may the witness, may the model, may the example of Simeon and Anna inform 2023 for us. May that be our aspiration. Proverbs 17, 24, we'll close here. The discerning sets his face towards wisdom. The one who has discernment. Sets his face, her face, towards wisdom. But the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. The eyes of a fool are set on temporal vanities. We're reminded at Christmas how fast time goes, right? Time goes so fast. Six years ago, I preached on Christmas morning. And it seems like yesterday. Why would we set our eyes on the ends of the earth, on temporal vanities. The height of foolishness. There's only two ways to live. The one is the path of wisdom. The path we see with Simeon and Anna. The path of light and life. And the other, the path of foolishness and destruction. With the one, it means rising with Christ. With the other, it means an eternal fall. That's what Simeon and Anna have to teach us this morning on, our, on this Christmas morning. And I recognize that in a crowd this large, that there are some of you, if you were to die today, this isn't a fear tactic here, it's just the, I'm basing it on what Simeon tells us. You would fall, and it would be an eternal fall. It would be an eternally conscious fall. It would be an eternally conscious judgment but it doesn't have to be that way you can be raised with Christ by grace through faith if you respond to the Christmas message of the gospel of Jesus Christ we want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning so as Adam and our musicians come forward don't let this Christmas day go to waste you're here by providence uh, most of the world probably didn't gather for Christian worship on Christmas morning. I'm grateful you're here. It means a lot to all of us that you're here. But don't let it go to waste. What Simeon says uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit is a word to us all. 
The Son of God is meant either for the rise or the fall of every individual. It all depends on how we respond to him. Why don't you respond to Jesus this morning in repentance and faith as we stand and sing? Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.